Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. This is week 10, part 4 of our series, Freedom from Fascism, the Christian Response to Mass Formation Psychosis. I am Michael J. Sutton. The theme for this week is Mass Formation Psychosis and Religion. Why are the churches lying about taxation? The question for today's podcast is, why does Jesus need our money? This is a good question. Because he doesn't. The church does. And that's the problem. We need to stop supporting a system that doesn't work. If the Bible does not support church as a place, why do we? If the Bible sees Christianity as as a gathering of people, an assembly not as a building, why do we? The answer has nothing to do with faith or Christianity. Church is seen as a place for cultural relics, identity and memory. This is fine, but it is not Christianity. Christianity in the West looks remarkably like national identity and national politics rather than Christianity. Churches are tolerated simply because of cultural traditions and the political support of those cultural groups. Churches, the physical and institutional structures, reflect national or sub-national cultural identities and are rooted in the history of the nations. The Scottish have their Presbyterian Church, the English, the Church of England, the Germans, the Lutheran Church, the Italians, the Roman Catholic Church. These churches are relics of the cultural identity. Churches are often museums of the past. They embody ideas or values of yesteryear and contain images, documents and ideas that used to resonate in the nation. There's nothing wrong with museums. I love museums. I love to visit them and see the values of the past, learn about people, places and memories. I'm also aware of the historical and cultural traditions of many churches in society. They are the same. Relics stuck in the past. Churches live in the past. They resonate with values that many people no longer hold. The Church of England in Australia, for example, the Anglican Church, especially in rural areas, resonates with the values of white Australia. It struggles with racism and xenophobia, which also includes deep distrust of city people. You must only look at the leadership of those churches. They are, overall, white people in a multi-ethnic society. The church leadership in most of the churches do not reflect the cultural norms of society. If you want to see the white Australia policy in action and the values of the 1950s, go to the Church of England or Anglican Church in rural areas. You will see it in action. Why does the church need our money? These churches cannot survive without money, and lots of it. But are their values worth preserving? If we're not changing, then we're already dead. We can learn from the past and for much we can give thanks. But we also move on, not only in our lives, but in our national experiences. Many of the past ideas and values are today out of place. Many are astounding and reactionary. Some are illegal. And it's important to ask whether they are helpful if we allow them to continue. Cultures and societies move on. People move on. Culture in a nation that refuses to change actually inhibits national growth and development. There is a place for relics and museums, but increasingly 
Christian churches are finding that they are more of a financial burden than a blessing in society. Many buildings are what we call heritage listed, which means that they are a part of the national or local heritage. Many have built the wrong way, many according to out-of-date building standards. Many are money pits needing constant repairs. There are serious questions facing the viability of all denominations in the nation now. The only house of God in the New Testament is the Christian. It is the person who has come to faith in Christ. He or she is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If there is a house of God in the New Testament, it is not made with bricks and mortar, but by flesh and blood. Your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, says Paul. This is a radical and incredible statement to make. Every Christian has the presence of God dwelling in them, in their bodies, and that God is present with them. It is no wonder that Christian fascists sought to destroy this and twist it to transfer the presence of God from the person or persons of faith to an external structure. It was within this external structure the fascists sought to distance the believer from God, from the presence of God, from intimacy with God, and from a relationship with God. Why does Jesus need our money? Well, he doesn't. And he never asked for it. He wants our hearts to be in tune with him and our feet to follow him. You cannot buy favour with God. But Christian fascists also tried to recreate the temple at Jerusalem in the church. They brought into the church all the rituals and relics of the temple, including the altar of the so-called holy table, as well as incense, pews, seating arrangements, candles, and so on. All these relics and items were used in the Temple of Jerusalem before the Romans burnt it to the ground in around AD 70. No Christian assembly used any of these rituals or relics for generations. This desire to recreate the Temple of Jerusalem is deeply problematic for many reasons. It is anti-Semitic for one. Jesus nowhere talked about recreating the Temple. He spoke of the Temple as being torn down and built again three days later. He meant that just as Jews went to the temple to meet God through the sacrifices, Jesus was the sacrifice through which all could meet God through faith. See John 2 verse 19. Jesus spoke of his death as opening the way to the Father for both Jews and non-Jews. Why does Jesus need our money? The buildings are just bricks and mortar. I've always believed that the church building is simply that. A church building is just bricks and mortar. It is of no importance. If the building matters to you, then I'm sorry, because there's nothing in the Bible to support your devotion to it. It sounds more like the building is an idol to you. Church buildings do not contain God. He is not waiting there for you to turn up. He is not especially present in the space you have created for him. This thinking is all completely pagan and unchristian. In addition, many of your cultural churches alienate people for whom Christ came. You want them to worship God, not in spirit and truth, but in your way, in your words and in your style. You impose burdens on people that should not exist because the burdens are to do with culture and history in the past. They have no relevance for people today. People need to make their own culture, to discover their own traditions and find their own way, 
Their purpose in life is not just to rake the gardens of the dead. If you want people to know God, then get rid of all the obstacles that cause stumbling blocks. Sell your church buildings and meet in a public place. Why keep something that's a burden to you and to others? Why does Jesus need our money? Is that why we meet on Sunday? The reason Christians gather is not to meet in a place, but to meet each other. We gather not to worship God because we worship God all the time. The reason we gather is not to perform or participate in a liturgy. Once again, these liturgies are cultural relics, not affirmations of faith. We gather to encourage one another and pray. The rest is not Christianity. It's the church. And that's the problem. Does Jesus need our money? No, the church does, because they have never been able to run their churches properly. We have been looking at various lies the churches tell their congregations. Yesterday we discovered that the English word church is not found in the New Testament. In fact, the word church, uh, the word is usually ecclesia, which means an assembly or a gathering of people, not a place. Today we're looking at the lie of money given to those churches that don't exist in the New Testament. This is more than a lie because most people are under a delusion about it. Indeed, this delusion is like the effects of propaganda. People are often completely unaware that there is no basis for the collection of monies to sustain the church in the New Testament. The Western Church says, yes, Jesus does need our money. There is no denomination or church organization that has been immune from the love affair with money. Churches have grown in power and influence in the West for centuries. Much of this power and wealth has come from their relationship with the state. Other wealth has come from various tax exemptions that have allowed churches to accumulate funds privately away from the scrutiny of tax officials. This love affair with money is deeply entrenched in church culture. Without money and wealth, the Christian church in the West would not be the power center that it is today. It is highly likely that the wealth and power of the church is the main attractive point for most of its leaders. But the early Christians had a different approach. They did collect money, but when they collected money, it was for those in need. During the New Testament times, most assemblies met in homes or in the public square or even in the temple at Jerusalem. The church in inverted commas, had no real cost. There was no upkeep costs or rent or mortgage to pay, nor were loans required or the necessity for large administrative systems like many churches today. In the letters, Paul, John, Peter and James addressed the assemblies of Christians gathered in various places or cities. These were perhaps groups that met in various places or one central location on a regular basis. The early Christians were characterized by genuine compassion for the work of the gospel in other places. They were also deeply moved by the suffering of others. Paul was involved, for example, in the collection of funds to assist assemblies in need in various places. The verses in the New Testament about collecting money were concerned primarily with the provision of funds for the needy gatherings in cities experiencing financial hardships due to problems at the time. We see, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1-2. Paul is not talking about raising funds to pay for the priest, or the priest's home, or the priest's salary, or the school fees for the priest's children, 
but to help the poor. The early Christians were also committed to globalisation. What is interesting in the New Testament is that this kindness or compassion for others was often given willingly, regardless of national boundaries or differences. This was 2,000 years ago. Indeed, early in the Jerusalem assembly, seven men were chosen to work for the poor and the needy in the assemblies there, so the 12 apostles, including Matthias, could focus on the work of the gospel. The early Christians gave money to compensate teachers and preachers for their efforts in the assembly. For example, in 1 Timothy 5, 17-18, Paul says to Timothy, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. But Paul is not talking about a salary here, and there's no indication of the elders being in so-called full-time Christian ministry. Even so, this is exclusively for teachers and preachers, not musicians or organists, secretaries, administrators, drivers, assistants, and so on and so on, like churches today. Surprisingly to many people, there are no rules for tithing in the New Testament. None whatsoever. From verses like 1 Timothy 5, 17-18 sprung the justification for the church gravy train we have today. Paul set a good model by working for a living when he visited the Thessalonians. He even made more of an impact on the community because of this lifestyle. There are no rules for tithing in the New Testament or in church collections. Tithing simply means the idea of, of giving to the church a regular amount of money on a, on a weekly or daily basis. The Bible in the New Testament says absolutely nothing about tithing. These all come, the rules on tithing, come, come from a bizarre reading of selective texts, not from the New Testament, but from the Hebrew Bible. How can they claim that Jesus needs our money if there's no text in the Bible to justify it? Stop encouraging the church gravy train with your money. Most Christians do not realise there is no economic reason for churches to even ask for money. Given their charity status and tax exemptions, even the worst church could break even with sensible business decisions. Instead, laziness and incompetence reigns along with side massive corruption. There are a few churches in our world who have worked it out, and that is fantastic to see. I have seen a few over the years, and they thrive in an economic system that punishes efficiency and rewards corruption. How they survive in the church system that seeks to cripple initiative, good business practice and efficiency is truly a miracle. I encourage you to go and find those places. They are truly a marvel, and they are a testimony to God at work in the world we should also stop enabling a culture of abuse. What suffering has the church endured except being the cause of it? How many lives have been destroyed by the church and their friends in society? For example, how many people have had to marry behind the altar because they chose to marry a non-Catholic? In other situations, how many lived with the shame of a thousand sins because the church decided to make an example of them while the priests gorged on abundance and corruption? How many walked along a street only to see people crossing the road to avoid meeting them because they went to the wrong church?
Can you imagine how many people had their lives ruined and destroyed because of church slander, gossip and lies, and how many were victims of the priests and their cult worship? Christian fascists hiding behind their charity status will also cause trouble. Even today, Christian fascists are still on their holiness crusade to undermine the law. They believe themselves to be above the law and that the law doesn't apply to them and they hide like cowering dogs behind old statutes and laws that protect their precious investments. The hatred of Christian fascists is seen in this crusade against homosexuals and transgender people. If some of them had their way, they would prosecute them, ban them or even kill them and say that they're doing it all in the name of Jesus. It was not long ago that medical treatments were forced upon homosexual people that made the COVID jab seem like a walk in the park. Does Jesus need our money? No. Christian fascists want to use the church to advance their political agenda. Whenever churches seek power, they end up becoming violent, oppressive institutions. They assume a life of themselves and the message of the gospel is lost. Early Christians meant simply and cheaply. The early churches were simply home churches, gathering of people at a house. That is natural and normal, and this could be easily done today. You could simply gather over coffee and read the Bible. You don't need a liturgy or songs or music or the Mass. In addition, you don't need any of those things to simply gather, talk and pray. If you hosted at a local cafe or restaurant on a quiet day, you were also helping your local community. And they're meeting nice Christians, opposed to the people they already know who go to church. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can read today's podcast on our blog at freedommatterstoday.com. Join me tomorrow for another episode of Freedom Matters Today.